Hey, welcome to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today, we're chatting with screenwriter Sean Prisant, whose resume includes features, shorts, and TV in all genres, from multicam sitcoms to reality competition to prestige crime shows. So with such a broad resume, Sean can address writer's room specifics at every level. Welcome to the show, Sean. Welcome Thank to the you. show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. Now, but before we get to our interview, Sean has agreed to talk about his week or what we like to call adventures in screenwriting. So, Lauren, you go first uh, to help Sean uh, ease into the water. Okay. So, my week, uh, as usual, was very up and down. The beginning of the week, I was struggling with a lot of negative self talk, right? And having a hard time get into the zone of being able to actually do the work I had to do. And part of it is that I lost track of the progress that I've been making and where I am. I was watching a TV show the other night and a character who had achieved some level of success, but the but then like lost out on an opportunity. So it was sort of like, I've lost everything. I don't have anything. But compared to where that character was a year ago, they'd actually come pretty far. And so I was, so that really sort of hit me like, oh, right. I, you know, I'm in post on a TV show. I have a show in development. I'm pitching on another show. I'm always working on other things. You know, two years ago, that would have been so amazing that I'd had this much stuff going on. But right now it feels like I'm still panicked about the future. So I had to sort of take, roll that back a little bit and calm my brain down to be like, no, because if I reel all those things off, and believe me, I'm not bragging, it sounds like, wow, that's a lot you have going on. You're really working, you're busy. Um, so just trying to get some, that 30,000 foot view, right? Instead of focusing on right now, today, I'm doing, I'm answering these emails, right? So that was hard to get out of that place, but then- Lorian, do you have a, like a specific strategy? Do you list them? Do you write them down? Because I fall into this like, rabbit hole too sometimes and I'm wondering I love this and I'm going to steal it so I'm just kind of curious how you approach uh, it no I don't have a strategy <laughs> I panic I freak out and then I watch that tv show and it sort of hit me in the face like oh right the the I keep moving the bar forward so I can never get over it and I'm never looking back I'm never able you know like oh wow I actually have come a ways you know so I don't think I have a strategy. I'd love to be able to articulate one so that I can repeat it when this happens again. But I think it was just that line in that TV show was like, oh, it's sort of, I was ripe, I guess is the right. word. I was available to hear that because I'd gotten to the crisis point. But um, you know, you did say 30,000 foot, you tried to get up yeah. above it. And I think yeah. gratitude uh, is a good thing to think about. Like, what are you grateful for in terms of what's happened so far? That doesn't have to be, oh, I sold something. I have a show. It could be, mm -hmm. I got great notes or, you know what? I finished this week. <laughs> it can be small right. things. It can be small right. things, you know, either the big view or the, or the minuscule view, I yeah. think sometimes helps. So I thought I'll take myself out of my environment 
because I get I get sort of boxed into I'm going to do what I do in the morning and come downstairs to my basement. But I actually was like, I'm going to get dressed. I went to this cafe I like to go to and I wrote there all morning. And then I realized I had ants crawling on my face because the pillar on which I was leaning had ants all over it. And I was like, oh no, I have to go. And like, I just felt like I was crawling with these little tiny ants. And then I got home and took up the hottest shower I've ever taken in my life. And then, you know, later I was outside goofing around, enjoying a glass of wine. And I took a big gulp of it and ate a bug that had been in my wine. So my lessons are this week, uh, 30,000 foot view and outside hates me. So that's what I have going on. Or the week. bugs really like you. I have the to bugs say. are trying to get in my mouth. They want to be um, with you yes. closer. Yeah. You seemed hungry. <laughs> so I think that's yes. what happened. Yeah. So that was uh, helpful, but I did get some good writing done. Um, you know, when I stopped my brain from telling me that it was pointless. Perfect. Yeah. Sean, how was your week? My week was good. Um, I, uh, I mean, we wrapped a show a few weeks ago and then, um, I randomly had a gallery show of sculpture that I had to crank out very quickly. And so that closed last week. And now uh, I've been getting back into a pilot that right before all that, I got a bunch of notes from the producers. Um, and so I sort of forcibly had a couple weeks to not look at it. And so it's been fun to climb back in um, and, and see it with sort of fresh eyes again. Uh, you know, it was, they were the kind of notes I got that was sort of like, okay, we need to get more inside this character's head at the top, which is, always a little daunting thing because with pilots there's not a lot of real estate so like okay how can we efficiently get inside this character's head um so it's been wrestling with that a little bit and also a little bit of the just get yourself in the chair you know it's it's back to you know just getting in the chair behind the computer and uh and getting into it again um, what is your medium for sculpture uh metal Oh, cool. I yeah, love that so show. It was really cool. Do you have a, a page that we can all go look? Sorry, uh, I know this is a writing podcast, but I'm interested. It's okay. In it's, 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 uh, you can just go to, it's, uh, there, some of them are on, um, just my name.com. So seanpresent.com. Okay. So I'm going to what look I really like yeah. about them is that they tell a story. Of course right? they do. So there's a lot of yeah. movement and there's a story in them. And, uh, it was really fun. It's sort of, yeah, it's a writing podcast, but Meg, you talk about all the time, like you're painting or doing, mm -hmm. teaching yourselves new things as a way to get your brain moving in a different creative way. So yeah. I think that's so great. And I love that, you know, sculpture is so great because you're using your hands to tell the story. You know, it's yeah. a different, it's so great to have a different physicality to art. Um, I think mm -hmm. we as writers can get so stuck up in our heads. Um, Absolutely. That it's really yeah. good to do something well, obviously you're in a gallery, so it's not a hobby. It's a profession. It, it, it's, it, it's somewhere between the two, but it's, it's, uh, I find that like between, like between gigs, like when you're in production, you have no time to do anything, but in between, because what we do is so much in our heads, uh, I, I feel this need to make things with my hands, you know, like to do something physical and tactile, um, uh, that's still creative. Uh, but it's, it's good stress relief. It's, I think it helps with writing too, to just sort of exercise a different part of your brain creatively. Um, yeah, here's, here's where I went wrong. 
I ate bugs instead of exercising my creativity in a different way. That was what but, I did. But if you frame that as performance art, <laughs> it's a different thing. That's sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Meg, how yes. was your week? My week was the first three days was uh, really doing the arc for this movie, which my listeners have been hearing, Sean, that every week I'm doing another arc for this movie with my uh, co-writer. Uh, but this time I really think, okay, this time I really think we have it. We sent it off to the group. I hope on Monday, you know, in the email, email we wrote, we're excited to go to draft meaning people were going like, let's go. Of course, anything can happen. I'll tell you next week. Um, and then of course I was so excited to have a day to go to my passion project, which you all know I got notes on and I need to do, and I need to break that Bible. And so I did absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but you thought about it real hard. I kind of did not. I, um, <laughs> you felt guilty about not doing it. I did feel guilty about it. But I think my brain is tired and uh, I think I went into a little bit of a spiral because we've done so many versions now of this character that I, I feel slightly disconnected from it. It's gotten so intellectual, by the way, it's not, and I will get back into it and I'm not worried about it, but I, I'm not trusting it anymore in a weird way because it's been iterated so much without being able to write any of those vomit scenes as we call them that i I, I have to get back into it. And so I think I just got a little bit like, I, I don't need to write anything else right now. Plus I need to do a lot of research in order to write the next thing. And who has time to do that? Crap. Oh, research. Anybody I out there? love research. I, I, I love research. I, I love it when I have time, but I just feel the pressure of, I have to figure out this entire time period from this person's perspective and how they would have lo- lived and, you know, what they would have done every day. Okay. When am I doing that? But, uh, you know, I'll, 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 I'll do it. So that was my week. That was my week. Um, but let's, that's boring stuff compared to Sean. We have Sean here. Let's talk to Sean. Um, okay. Let's get to our interview. Um, so can you just, let's just start the way uh, people really love to hear how you got started, how you got started in television. Uh, I went to film school for grad school. Uh, and so coming out of film school, I made my short. Um, and I made this short little comedy called Suburban Monogamy. Uh, and it did fairly well as shorts go. So it got me to a lot of festivals. Um, it got me some attention and it ultimately got me a job. Um, my first job, which was the Wayne Brady show, which was a sketch show at ABC. Um, and it sort of flowed from there a little bit. So sort of my way in was making this little calling card, um, that could be used as, basically like a here's what he does here's his voice um so. within a genre i'm meaning within comedy so they know you're a comedy yeah. writer they know what kind of comedy you do right like it, it's identifiable yeah. right like how to where, how to sell you now yeah okay. it was it was yeah that was the initial thing was it was like you're a comedy guy um you know because it was this short little heartfelt kind of funny mock 50s propaganda film that followed this couple from basically high school till they died uh in like 17 minutes i think um and but but even if i look back on it now i'm like this still is my voice in a weird way it's that it's broad comedy uh but always with that little sort of piece of heart to it um so it's but it really it it did initially brand me this is what you do 
Um, so not in a bad way. When, when in that process, you know, getting Wayne Brady, um, when did you get repped? Mm, uh, fairly quickly. Uh, it was off of the short. Um, uh, initially, I got repped. Um, so, uh, I mean, USC did a good job of like, they put on a kind of showcase and they have a bunch of industry people come, but, uh, so I had somebody off of that, you know, and, and since then, you know, I've moved around a little bit, but, uh, but it was, it was fairly quick. Would you be comfortable? Could we post a link to it on our Facebook group so people can take a look? Uh, sure. I, where is it? it? Yes. I'll give you a link. I'm like, no, if you don't have it, that's cool. I just thought it would be fun for them to see. Yeah, I'll it give it to you yeah. and you can post it. Yeah. yeah. I would be awesome. Can I ask you, yeah. Sean, like yeah. when you have this calling card, you know, it could be a short, it could be like a feature or whatever. And you're like approaching the festival circuit. Like, did you just apply to a bunch? Did you really strategize? Did you have producers who kind of led you along in that process? Like, just because I know a lot of our listeners might be at that stage in their own yeah. journeys. Uh, I, it's like applying to colleges. You just apply to them. You know, there was nobody sort of doing it for me. So I just was like, here's, here's the calendar. Here's what's coming up. And so I started sending it out. And I think the first one was South by Southwest. Um, and it was, I, the festival circuit is really fun. It's a great way to meet people. Um, the same people were at almost every festival. Uh, filmmakers, I mean. And it's sort of, sort of you, you find this kind of new community of people, which was really fun. Um, and then it's always, with anything, it's always gratifying to see anything you've done in front of an audience and see them react to it. So, but I would say if you have a short, just sit down and, and frame out when everything's due because it, deadlines come up on you faster than you think. Um, you know, you're dealing with this with a feature before too, that it's just like, you know, you're like, okay, this festival's in three months, but it was due last month, you know? So you kind of can easily miss it. So, um, and there's a lot of festivals out there. Some have sort of different bents, but uh, um, I will say this, if you're making a short, make it short. Uh, you know, there's the thing they don't really tell you about programming festivals is there will be a couple shorts blocks, um, that have a bunch of shorts and maybe one or two in those will be longer than 10 minutes. Um, and then they will play shorts in front of features also, but that will be one short and they don't want to play a half an hour short before a movie. So if you have a long short, it limits your number of spots from a hundred to like 10, uh, so, so being kind of 10 minutes and under is helpful. Um, I mean, it should be the length that needs to be, but it's just something to consider with shorts. Um, yeah. And why will this short, short stand out? Like you're stood out, I'm sure for the heart and the comedy and your voice, yeah. right? Like you really yeah. have to commit to what's going to make you stand out. Yeah. Be strategic with it. Like what's, yeah. What sounds like you, what is going to be your calling card? And when people say what, what ideally do you want to do? Like what's your genre for now? I would say for now, because it can change. Um, have it be represented with that. So let's go to the Wayne Brady show. Mm -hmm. What was your first day as a staff writer in the room like? Um, it was pretty comfortable. It was a small room. There were only five or six people in it. Uh, you know, um, and I had a writing partner at the time. And so I had sort of an ally, but it wasn't like a competitive room. Rooms are very different. They all feel very different. And you to say like, here's the rules of a room. It all varies. Um, uh, because that was doing sketch, I think it was a little bit different um, than doing slightly longer form because it was just about everybody coming up with sketches, uh, you know, and also trying to figure out what the show was. Um, 
but it was not, everybody was nice. Everybody was supportive. Uh, you know, we had some people in there who had been doing it forever, you know, and when they stopped and talked, you would just kind of like stop talking because you're like, okay, I want to hear about your experiences with Michael Jackson, who you have on speed dial, like stuff where you're like, I have nothing to contribute to this conversation, but this is amazing. You know? And I always feel like as you're, as you get in rooms, if you ever get around people who've been doing this forever, like it's gold, like their stories are amazing. Cause it's firsthand, like, you know, uh, watching the industry shift, you know, and watching how things changed and just hearing these crazy stories, you know, about legends and stuff. So like, I always want to be aware that like, if there's somebody in there who's been around forever, tell me stories. I want to hear all of it. Um, but it was, but it was, it was a, it was a supportive room. And would you give, what would your advice now being having now, now having been around a while uh, on the other end and to a new writer coming into a room, maybe for the first day, for the first time, what would your advice, you know, what, what would your approach be? To, what, would you, what would you suggest? Uh, I would say, don't worry too much. You know, y- you go in and the thing that's that, like, we've built up writers room so much that they can be intimidating you know, people go in and they get in their own head. When you get in your own head, you're not there present for the conversation that's going on. Um, you know, if you're questioning, like, are these people smarter than me? Am I good enough for this? All that. You're, you're not thinking about what you're thinking about in there, which is like story, character, you know, pitching jokes, if it's comedy, plot lines, all this, which is why you're there. And so it's, I think the great sort of revelation is that everybody in that room is a writer and everybody in that room goes through all the insecurities writers have. They, you know, everything you're thinking, they all have thought or do think at every level. And so it's easy to go in and be intimidated, but, but that room wants you to succeed. Um, and no one's really keeping score, usually. It, it varies by, by showrunner and room. But, but as a staff writer, if you contribute anything, it's a plus. You know, your people know you haven't done it before. You're there to learn. But also, this is your new community. You know, be open with people. Um, be nice. Be who you are. Uh, it's And don't be intimidated because it's, you know, rooms by and large are very friendly. There are some that are very tense. It tends to filter down from the top. You know, like if the showrunner is a tense person, the room will be tense. If the showrunner is like a nice, respectful person, the room will be that way. Um, and so, you know, just go in and, and be yourself and be a person. You now know, the, don't now worry. The, the folklore is that comedy rooms can be that can be super hard because everybody's trying to tell a better joke and kill the other joke. And that has not been your experience. Um, it has not. But I but but that's particular to me, I think, in the shows that I've been on. I know people who have been in rooms that are like that. Um, I have worked with some writers who are like that. Uh, but generally, you know, I mean, yes, people want to get their jokes in, you know, if, if you are the person who's always getting your joke and you seem more valuable. Um, but if you're obnoxious and you're the person who is killing everybody else's joke without something better, that gets remembered too. You know, if yeah, you're the person in the room who's always just like uh, pointing out, if you're going to point out a problem, you have at least an attempt at the solution. You're not just saying this doesn't work or that joke is bad. Well, yeah, we all know that you got something better. Um, otherwise you're just complaining. Uh, and even if it's, you know, I'll sometimes, if it's like, you know what, I don't have the joke here, but I think it's in this area. You know, I think it has to do with basketball, you know, whatever. And then someone else will go, Oh, oh, oh and then they'll get it. And, 
you know, it's like an assist, which is the closest we come to being basketball players, I guess, is it's like, because otherwise it's like, we're a bunch of nerd writers, but it's, so just, you just want to keep moving the ball forward, um, I think. And it's, and if you're in a tense room, sometimes there's just no way to win. Um, you know, there's, I mean, I, I know someone who, who uh, was on a show, very popular big network show with a notoriously difficult showrunner and his mentor, when he, he went in the room said, sit back over there. This was a big room. And he's like, but that's behind a column. And he's like, exactly. There's less chance you'll get fired the first day. Uh, because that was a very tense showrunner who got annoyed by things and would fire people left and right constantly. Um, I feel like I've been lucky that I haven't been in rooms like that. Um, but just take everything in stride. Um, and again, just be yourself. Anything you contribute is a plus. You're a staff writer. No one is expecting you to break the whole show. You know, you're there to help. Um, and as you get more confident and as you kind of climb up the ladder, your responsibilities will grow. But, you know, I know people who've gone in as staff writers and from the get-go, they're like the best person in the room. Um, because what we do is something that sometimes you're taught it and sometimes you're just good at it, you know, and usually you're somewhere in the middle. And so you could be coming in as a staff writer and already be better at this than someone who's been doing it for 20 years, you know, or you could be a newbie at it. You're just learning and that's okay. Um, but just don't worry about it. You know, it's all the advice I could give. It's also like, don't take too much advice. Just go in, enjoy the company. You're, you're making a TV show. You're getting paid to write. It's the most amazing thing in the world. Um, so just appreciate that. Have you ever had the experience of you struggling to get into the head of that showrunner or see writers struggling to get into the head of the showrunner? Like what they're writing, their episodes or whatever are just not lining up. Like what do you do if you're that writer? Like what's the, what's the solution to that? If you're not getting something, uh, I think communication is the key to all of it. So if, if you're out of sync somehow, go sit down with the showrunner, not in the room, you know, just say, Hey, can we sit down before or after at some point and just talk to them about it, you know, where you're struggling, what you're not getting. Um, uh, you know, the showrunner's job is to get the most out of everybody in the room. And so if you're struggling, it does no good for you to sit there and struggle for months when, when like an hour conversation or sometimes even 20 minutes with the showrunner one-on-one um, or with another writer. Like that's the other thing is you can go to other writers um, and sit down in their office or your office and just be like, I don't get this. I'm not getting this, um, you know, and, and most people will be supportive. You know, most showrunners will be like, great. Okay, here is what this is. Let's work through it, um, you know. Uh, and then you get it, and then you're a productive part of the room again, you know. And that's just a process. And that's the thing I would always hammer into people is before you get in your own head, go talk to somebody. Go talk to the showrunner. Go talk to the co-EP if the showrunner is too busy, you know. Um, lines of communication are open. My worst mistakes have been where I just tried to do it myself um, when really it would have been better to sort of go hash it out with, with somebody who is at sort of an upper level um, uh, just because it's, it's, it's very much a group effort. You know, when you are breaking episodes as a group, everybody takes ownership of it. Um, so if you go off and go rogue and you come back in, you know, like the story didn't make sense to you when you went to go write it. And so 
you rebroke it. When you come back in, everybody is dumbfounded. Because they're like, but wait, we broke, we broke this. This was the story. Why did you go this way? And you say, well, this didn't work. It's much better to, when you realize it doesn't work, go back in the room with everybody and fix it as a group. You know, you can have what you think is your solution, but at least run it by people. Um, you know, That's because really even though advice. Really yeah. good advice. Sorry, even though keep going. Even though, it was great be, advice. even though it may be your episode and your name is on it, 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 people, it's I can't explain it, but it's like in a good way, everybody feels like it's theirs, you know. Um, and in some shows, you don't even write an episode. They're group written and they just you know, okay, whose turn is it to have a name on a script? It's yours, so this will be your episode. Um, and sometimes you will go and write the whole thing and almost no words will change. Uh, but it still is, this show belongs to the room. Um, and, uh, that, must and be hard at, that must be hard at Emmy time, but, uh, um, <laughs> that's where it gets brutal, especially when like, I have a friend who got nominated, uh, who it was one of those things where it was just randomly like your name goes on this one. <laughs> it's like, okay, look at the draw. Yeah. Um, so we also took questions from our listeners on our Facebook right. page. Yeah. So, um, we're going to, we're going to do some of those. Lauren, you want to start? So this question comes from Marjo, wants to know about the skills you need to run a room. So I will say to preface this, Sean and I were just in a room together uh, and it was a delight to work with him and he often had to run the room. So can you talk a little bit about that where you're running the room when the showrunner's out of the room, mm -hmm. how, do you, how, do you, how do you do that? Uh, it, it's uh, a very different process. And the first time you do it, you will understand a lot more about what's useful to do when you're not running a room and what's annoying, you know, where it's like people who pitch the same thing five times when you're like, I heard you. It's just where if I haven't like I heard you. Right. But everybody's yelling stuff out. And so you're just trying to filter through um, what works and what doesn't work. Uh, and so it's, you end up being more sort of curator at that point, you know, you're sort of, you're guiding where you're going and you know where you're going. So you want to, you want to be clear on where the story's going, you know, what we're doing. Um, and then you're mostly just fielding ideas from people, you know, um, we need a joke here if it's a comedy thing and people are throwing things out and you keep listening until you hear one. And then you're like, yeah, we'll try that. And then that goes in, you know, if it's breaking the story, it's okay, we, how do we get from here to here? What's the next beat? And people are throwing out ideas and you're hearing them. And the thing is, it's about hearing people, you know, and, and hearing that even if it's not the right idea, but it's the seed of an idea, using that to sort of course correct and go like, okay, you know what? Great idea there. Let's, let's keep talking about that. Let's go that direction. Um, and so at that point, you're kind of taking yourself out of it. If you have a solution to it, great. But it's, it's sometimes hard to balance both of those. What your job is, is to know where the ship is going um, and then to take everything that's coming at you and filter it um, so that you keep going in that direction. Uh, and also it's like, in, in, in like in the case with you, it's like if, if you're not the showrunner and the showrunner has left and said, now you're running the room. If you don't know where you're going at that point or where the showrunner wants to go, make sure you're clear on that before they leave. So you don't spin your wheels going the wrong direction. Um, it's very important, like, especially for the number one and number two to be in line, you know, like this is where we're going. We're going the same place. Um, how, do you, how do you handle disagreements in the room or a writer who's well, and I don't know if this happens in TV as much, but you know, 
there's often in rooms a disruptor, right? Like that mm-hmm. is kind of why they're there and why they're cast because they will always be like, but why, but why are we, you know, in Ireland or whatever? <laughs> like, and you're yeah. like, wow, okay, it's five o'clock and you're asking me that question. Um, what do you do if there's a disagreement between writers of where to go or um, people are really feeling passionate about something in different ways? Uh, you pull rank. No, you, um, <laughs> you, you basically, <laughs> you go with what you think is right, you know? And you just, if they're yelling at each other, as soon as, you know, if, if uh, writer A is like, they need to go up the river and writer B is, they need to go down the river. Like, and you know, you know what? They need to go down the river, you know? And A is yelling and screaming. You're just like, you know, a great idea, but we need to go down the river. So we're going that direction, you know? And that usually will fairly quickly shut that down. You know, there are, those are the worst. The, the, the writers who just attack other writers, I, there's a special place for them because <laughs> it's, it's like, it's, you know, what we do is not easy and it's exhausting and no one needs that energy. Um, but when you're running the room, like there's ways to kind of sh- shut it down. Uh, like once that person sees they're not going anywhere, they're either going to get quiet or they're going to leave. But either well, way. Well, and as a staff uh, writer, it sounds like you got to be able to pivot, right? Like if you really feel yeah. passionately about going up the river, but your showrunner or the head number two has decided you're going down, I would think yeah. you then have to pivot and make the best going down the river show that episode that you can right yeah like exactly exactly that's 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 exactly right it's you know it's it's for people who do who do improv the whole yes and thing you know where it's like when somebody throws you a suggestion you don't negate it you go with it and which is not to say you go with every idea people pitch but once it's clear we're going this way don't keep pitching the other way you know if you feel really passionate about it and you've pitched it once and you feel like maybe they didn't hear it or they need to hear why you think that, that's okay. After that, if it's like, no, we're going this way, go that way, right? It's, it doesn't help anyone to try to drag everybody the other direction. Um, uh, and you'd be surprised how many times, even though you think you're going the wrong direction, once you're sort of open to it, you realize, okay, this is why we're going this way, you know? And then, then you start to get ideas that way. You know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a group project is the thing. Like TV is a group project. Uh, and so you have to treat it accordingly. And there's you know? writer, there's feature writer rooms now, and it's exactly the same. And some feature writers can do it and some absolutely cannot because they're not trained or used to being in rooms with people, but it's exactly yeah. the same. Yeah. I, ha- I have a question about, um, so the, being the number two in the room, I think is, well, from my observations must be hard because, when the showrunner decides something, everyone in the room has to go, okay, right? When you're running the room and the showrunner isn't there, there's an expectation that they will respond to you the same way, right? But you also sort of know you still have to pitch it back to the showrunner, right? So it's this uh, really tricky sort of political place where you have to still be wearing your I'm in the room hat and your I'm proxy for the showrunner right now. Yeah. Um, so in that, what have you seen writers do that is like a no-no. You know, you've 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 spent you know three hours while the showrunner was off dealing with costumes and sets, you know, and you've broken this whole act, you know. But somebody was like, I think it should be this instead, you know. It's like it should be the the thing with the dog, you know. And then, um, but no, we're going this way. Showrunner comes in, you pitch out where you've gone, and then that person's like, but you know, I also have this idea with the dog, right? Don't do that. Like, cause what you're essentially doing is telling the showrunner, everyone here is dumb. Like I have a better idea. I think we should go this way, even though everyone is on board this other direction, 
Um, it doesn't help anything. Uh, it doesn't help sell what you've all been doing. Um, and it also makes everyone hate you, which is a general goal in the room is to not have everyone hate you. <laughs> like it makes life a lot better. Uh, but it's again, if there is a thing you feel so passionate about, um, that's one thing, but do it in a way that isn't like, that doesn't make it feel that everyone in the room has gone the wrong way. I'm better. I know better. You know, well, and it's interesting um, because you have to assume the number two is the person the showrunner believes gets their show and it's going to deliver mm -hmm. for them what they need. So if you're standing in opposition to the number two, why would you think the showrunner would go with? It's just interesting, like that you're trying to show yourself, but it's not the best way to show yourself. That is not the best way to prove yeah. your, your value in the room. No, it's not. And like, it puts you ahead of the story and ahead of the team. And, you know, it's yeah. a, it, that's a tricky one. That's a tricky yeah. one. It's a, it's a tough one. Cause there, I mean, there are definitely like, we've all been in situations in the room where you feel like this is definitely going the wrong way. Right. But if you're not in the position then to say that, I mean, you definitely want to say it, it's your responsibility to say it once, but if everyone's like, no, no, we're going this way. This is the way it feels right. The showroom wants to go this way. Get in line with that. Um, be supportive of that and try to find the best part of that. You know, and also look for like, why is that not working for you? Because you may hold the key to what makes it work better. Um, you know, you may have this element that's, that's like, okay, we can do that, but this story amount is going to bump everybody, but here's a solution for it. It's not going the whole other direction. It's just a little moment. It's a little character moment. It's a joke. It's, you know, piece of action. It's something that, that enhances the way you're going. and doesn't fight it. Um, if you have one of those moments, Sean, where like you feel strongly that, you're having an instinct or an idea that might push against what the direction of the room is going, but you know, you have to stand up for that idea. Is there like an etiquette or an approach in the room that you think you should take to raise that flag? The one time uh, you do it. I think you just say, you just say, I have a thought, you know, and I know this is the other direction. This isn't where we're going, but just to throw it out there so we consider it. What if it's this instead? Or do we think we're going to have a, this problem down the road if we go this way? You know, um, that's a nice way to do it as opposed to you're all wrong. It's this stupid. Go the other way. This makes sense. Right. It's just about it's respect on some level. Well, you I know, like about that, too, is you're acknowledging this is going to, you know, you're acknowledging before you say it, this might be disruptive. Yeah. And I acknowledge that. But it's important enough, clearly, that I'm going to say it. So I like that. Yeah, too. it's because you do want to trust your gut. You don't want to get in the habit of always, you know, always just going in the flow to the point where if you have, if something is bumping you, you're not going to say it. It's always okay to say it once, even twice, maybe, but it's once it's been sort of shot down and here's why don't keep doing it. Uh, yeah. It's not productive. It just makes the day longer. Um, but uh, you know, but do trust your gut. If something is bothering you about the direction you're going, bring it up. You know, that's why you're there. You are there with there. There's this room is five to 15 people who have all have different opinions and were hired because of that. Um, and so your gut, even if you're a staff writer, your gut is as good as the gut of the number two, sometimes the showrunner, even because it's, you know, it's writing. It's like it, your brain works the way it works. You, you understand story on some level, you understand character. And so if something's bumping you, it's probably going to bump somebody else too. Um, so be confident in that but don't be an asshole. <laughs>
<laughs> be confident, but not an asshole. That's yeah. a new t-shirt that we're going to. That's the new t-shirt. Yeah. Um, I, think that, I think that sums up how to be successful in the writer's room, right? Yeah. Be confident, yep. but not an asshole. Great. Yeah. Shirt number two. Yeah. Um, okay. Mina wanted to know what it's been like uh, being in the writer's room and during the pandemic in terms of Zooming. And do you see anything that's going to you know, carry on after we all get back in person? Uh, yeah. Zoom rooms are terrible uh, and exhausting, but it's amazing that we could still do this, right? So they've been kind of a a saving grace because we would, I mean, think about it. We could work through the pandemic safely. Um, the difference is if they're just really tiring. Uh, and I was reading something about how part of it is that when you're staring at a screen with multiple boxes, your eyes are like micro scanning the screen so many times that you don't notice it, but your brain gets tired. Um, and so uh, there's lots of little strategies people use, like having a, a actual paper next to it that you can take notes on and look down at. So you're eyes are not always on the screen is sometimes helpful but but with the zoom room i've tended to find that after about four hours people are fried like four six hours and sometimes you still have to do longer hours but you just they get glazed over um it part is the nature of it also it's much more focused like when you go in a room because you're writers and you don't really want to write um if you can avoid it you spend so much time talking about everything else you know, like what you did this weekend, what you ate, what are we ordering for lunch? What are we, we ordering order for yesterday, lunch? Yeah. Right. Did I order the wrong thing? Can we look up pictures of everything on the menu? Because I want to see before I order it. Like it's anything you can do to avoid writing. But that stuff is extremely valuable. Um, like you'd be shocked how many times you get stuck on something. And you're like, we need a we need a B story here. Oh, remember that thing like two months ago where you took your daughter to the amusement park and like it, she threw up on the ride? Like, let's use that, right? Stuff comes back in a weird way. So it's not wasted time. It's also bonding, you know? Uh, like after a season in a room, you will know the other writers in the room sometimes better than their spouses do, you know? Because people just vomit up their life as bits and stories and anecdotes. And you become very close with people very fast. But that's also building trust, you know, and trust is important because you want to feel like you can throw out ideas that might be bad um, because they also might be good. When we start self-censoring too much, the room gets less productive. And there are different rooms, again, like that. There's rooms that are notoriously silent where nobody says anything until the idea is fully worked out. And there's rooms where people are just vomiting up the first thing that comes to mind. So, uh, so it varies. How is a live action room different than an animation room? And I think bigger than that, like you've written in so many genres. Mm -hmm. What what differences do you notice? Or is it the showrunner? Like, what is it that you're noticing? Uh, the difference between animation, and live action, all that stuff? Yeah. There's, there's mechanical differences on some of it. Uh, you know, it's like animation is got a different process to it than live action does and multicam is different than single cam and drama is different than comedy. Um, and I could break it all down. We'd be here for a long time, but I'm happy to. Uh, <laughs> but it's because even with animation, there's traditional versus 3D and that's got a different pipeline. Um, so the writing itself is similar. You know, it's it's what happens between drafts that's different, I think. Um, like if you're doing uh, if you're doing a, something that's 3D animation, right? That it takes so long to animate, um, and what 
things cost are different. That in some ways it's similar to multicam um, uh, in that you only get a certain number of sets and you get a certain number of like guest stars, which would be characters. You know, The weird thing is like, if a character gets wet in animation, that's a new character because they have to rebuild a whole new character. So there's, there's, there's different factors to consider that way. Um, uh, in traditional, you're a little more free because um, it it's not quite as expensive uh, and it doesn't take as long. Um, but then there's some parallels in that, like if you're doing a multicam sitcom, which means you have a live audience and you do a live taping and it's the most fun of any form, if you ask me, because <laughs> you get to see your stuff in front of a live audience. Uh, but, um, but that you'll do, you'll do the draft and then you'll go have rehearsals and you'll see the actors do it and then you'll make changes. Well, now in computer animation or in traditional also, you'll get animatics back, which is sort of a similar process. So you see it a little bit and you make adjustments to the script and then it goes back and they change it and, and so on and so forth. Um, if you're doing a single cam show, drama or comedy, it's more like you can change it on the set while you're there, but it's not like you're gonna get stuff back and go like, okay, let's rewrite this scene and do it again because you've shot it. So it's, you know, if you're the, if you're the writer on set, you're gonna deal with it on set. Um, so that process is a little different, but the writing is the writing is the writing, right? So when it comes down to it, you are still doing the same thing. What is the story? What are the characters? If there's a comedy, what are the jokes? If it's a drama, where's the drama? If it's action, where's the action? Um, and you're, you're beating out the story and then someone's writing it or you're writing it as a group and then you're rewriting as a group. Um, in drama, sometimes less so. Sometimes it's more just hear the notes and then go make the changes. But, uh, um, but in the rest of the formats, it's usually coming back to the room. And as a room, you're going through the scripts. What does it look like when you write a script in the room? I think we all understand you break it in the room for the most part, right? You're, yeah. You have the storylines on the whiteboard or however the show wants to do it. You come up with a very detailed outline and then a mm -hmm. writer is assigned and they go write it. How does it yeah. work when the, write, when the room writes it? Uh, it literally, you sit there and the writer's assistant has, you know, final draft up and you go through line by line. It's just, and then they say this, and then it says this, and then they say this. Um, most often when, I, when we've had the group write something, uh, it's been, we'd break it as a room, and then we'd split up into groups of like two or three. It'd be like, you take scene A, you take B, you go do the next one. And then when you finish it, you come back in and you grab the next one down. And you just basically get this draft out as fast as possible. Um, but in those cases, because I haven't really been in a lot of rooms that group write from from go. Actually, that's not true. I did do one. Uh, um, and when you're doing it that way, it's usually because a script has been killed for whatever reason. Like the network didn't like it and pulled the plug. The star didn't like it. And you just need to draft quickly. And so you do that. And then as a room, you come in and make it cohesive, make it make sense. Room writing, it's usually like the, the, the showrunner uh, will sit there and mostly kind of be dictating. And then people will throw lines as you go. Um, uh, and then if you lay, they leave, maybe the number two is doing it, but it's, it's a much more of a group thing. And if you're a staff writer at that point, well, you're like anybody else in the room. You're like, what about this line? You know? Okay. But there's usually someone who's steering it, who's saying then this, then have them say this, then have them say this. Um, uh, and it's, I mean, 
you get in a room like that, it can be very easy because you're not writing a draft at home. Um, you know, so it's just, it all happens in the room, but the hours can get very long. I uh, I yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Jeff, um, do you want to ask your question? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, you know, I feel like I'm so impressed by how eclectic your resume is. I mean, I feel like comedy is kind of the through line. Um, mm -hmm. But I, if I'm, if I've done my research right, it seems like your newest credit's more of like a kind of prestige single cam crime drama. Um, so I'm wondering like how, do you feel like it's important for a writer to like have a brand when they're getting staffed? Is that something you come up with or that your management kind of works with you to find? And specifically like you, how have you gotten in, you know, multi-cam rooms, children's shows, and like kind of high concept prestige crime stuff as with your voice? Uh, it's, I mean, they will brand you. You don't have to worry about it. Someone's going to brand you. Um, but also, if you keep getting put up for stuff that you don't feel like is your brand, you can tell your agents or managers, this is not really the right fit. Um, but usually at the staff level, you're like, I need a job. <laughs> like it's whatever it is. But, but they will sort of brand you as something. Um, you know, if, if you talk to agents and managers, they'll talk about the value of staying in your lane. And they're not wrong it's easier to just be like, this is the comedy guy. He does multicam comedy, he's multicam comedy. There's a, there's a, a simplicity to it. And then executives get to know you as that. And so it's a thing. Um, in my case, a lot of it was based on like producers I knew and um, you know, like I ended up on a crime show because I did a, a sci-fi movie and the producer on that was doing this other show we had a really good experience on the movie. And so he put me on the show. He's like, yeah, I want you to be on that. So, um, uh, and that show is, is got some comedy elements to it also, but, uh, um, but it's, you know, it's also about the, the material you're generating, you know, like uh, on some level you get to a point where, okay, this person's done shows. Like they know how to be on a staff. Um, if you've been a comedy person, but you write this like kick ass drama pilot that everybody's like, this is freaking amazing. You know, you can try to get staffed in drama off that. And they'll say, look, he, he or she has been in rooms. Um, they know how to do this, but they really want to go this direction and read this. You know, the, the one thing as writers we can always do is write material that shows we can do this thing, you know? Um, and if it's really good and it resonates, then, then people go, okay, cool. Like, you know, it, eventually it can work for you that you can do a bunch of stuff. But initially, you're going to get branded as something and that's okay. It means you've been hired to do something, right? It means like you've been in a room, but then as you sort of go up the ranks, it's, you just know how to make stuff. Like, you know how to get stuff done. You know how to get it across the finish line. And so then you can, you can swerve more. Um, uh, it, you know, it, it's always a, a more of a challenge if you're going against your brand, but, but I think also if you, if you really look at most of the stuff I've done, the brand exists within it. You know, there's still like, like even the, the, the procedural is like, it's, it's a show that's got a tremendous amount of heart to it. There's this little moment at the end of every episode that is kind of a little heartstring moment. Um, uh, and that's because the, you know, the producer, Dean Devlin produced it and like, that's what he does. And he's so good at it. So, uh, but almost everything I've done has that in it. Um, so on paper, it looks like nothing's related. If you really go through all the shows, there is kind of a through line. Um, and for but the really writers, oh, yeah, sorry, for the writers who aren't repped yet, I mean, because yeah. I I mentor and often I get the question, and I and I really do think, and tell me if you disagree. I do think you branded yourself before you got representation. You branded yourself with that film, 
Yeah. Meaning they knew how to sell you. This is what he's good at. Look at that. He's funny with heart, this kind of humor, this kind of heart. Um, and I find a lot of young writers have so many different genres of scripts, which is great, by the way. Try everything to see what you love and what you're good at and where your voice really comes through and you're learning your craft. So I'm not saying don't write all those scripts, but eventually if you've won a contest with this script, they're going to start to brand you with that genre, that thing, yeah. because this is what you got you attention. And yeah. I, sometimes I'm like, you got to lean into that. If you want to earn a living as a writer, branding yourself at the beginning is not a bad thing because it gets you in the game. It gets you yeah. representation. It gets like, what do you think about that? I completely agree. hundred percent. Like it's it. That's why it, it is that thing that you come out with it, the first out of the gate. Like that's your brand initially. It can change, but like if you get hired to do something, you're going to get like no one looked at my short and said, let's put them on SVU, right? It wouldn't make any sense. And so that was my brand. And it was also, it was a, a, it felt like me, you know, like when I get in the room and I start talking about ideas and I start, you know, talking about the stuff I like and, and story ideas, characters, jokes and stuff, I, I sound like that. Like I feel like that. Um, and so it wasn't wrong. It's just as you grow as a writer, you start getting interested in other stuff too, you know, like you start looking at other stories. And, and my thing has always been, what's the best way to tell this story? You know, it's, um, if it's a big historic epic, you know, about Nazis, it's probably not best told through comedy. But then again, Jojo Rabbit did, and it was brilliant. So it's like, there's, there's ways to go against it, but I'm always like, what is the most effective way to tell this story that I want to tell? Um, and that might be funnier, that might be darker, you know, and then, and then I try to go at it that way and hope that the work will speak for itself. Um, uh, but it's, yeah, but up front, completely agree with you. Like, this is your brand. Thank you so much. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Lori. And I was going to go to the three questions. I but have you have one, one more question. question. Okay. Yep. Um, this is a question uh, Meg and I get asked, most women get asked, but how do you manage uh, your personal life and your professional life, because being in a writer's room, being a writer is very demanding emotionally, mentally, physically. Like, so how do you balance your life with it? Um, how do you balance your life? <clears throat> That's a hard question. It's you, I think it's like any other demanding job. You just, you know, um, you, you try to make sure that like, when you do have time off, you, are attentive to the people around you, you know, um, that you nurture your friendships and your relationships and your family um, with the time you have, you know, people are very understanding generally, not always, but mostly, you know, and also I think it helps to share your excitement about what you're doing with them, right? Because then they know why you're there. They know what you're doing and also, you know, talk about everything that's going on there. Right. Like if if this is probably true of every job, though, like when you have a job that sucks up all your time and attention and exhausts you, you know, the people around you should at least know what you're doing. You know, they should know who you're working with, all of that so that they feel like they're participating in it. Um, but do make sure that, like, if you're getting burned out, know when you need to take a day and just like I need to chill out. I need to not talk to anybody. I need to sleep. I need to watch TV. I need to play video games. I need to do something mindless you know, or I need to get out of town. You know, this is, I mean, I think you'll find, this may be shifting, um, but mostly you're stuck in LA if you're doing this, if you're doing TV, 
right? You are in a writer's room, you are in LA. Now with Zoom, and this is the corollary before I went on a tangent before, um, Zoom rooms I think are gonna continue on and off. Like it might be, we might be looking at kind of a hybrid situation. Um, what has been good about Zoom rooms is you have more time. You know, they're shorter and more intense, but you have more time and you're at home. So when you break for lunch, you know, you can, you can eat with the people that you are with. Like you don't, you're not or sort of stuck in this room. hide from them. I just yeah, or hide from them. out there. Yeah. I'm just busy. lock the door and say, we're still working. Uh, Maybe. Calling, yeah, Maybe. my pizza gets here. Yeah, Postmates shows up, but, but it is, but you do, you know, self-care is important, you know, like you don't want to burn out. Um, and it can be, rooms are exhausting physically. They can be emotionally exhausting, especially if there's like one person in there that you can't stand. You know, like it's amazing the difference between having a room where everybody gets along and having that one person who just makes the day difficult, um, you know, and it's, so and yeah, you bond be, with everyone else over them. Don't, but be, one, that don't be that person. Yeah. Um, and two, then it's, it, it takes a toll because you, you get home and you're like wanting to and feeling like you're justified at yelling at somebody all day and not being able to is emotionally devastating you get home and you're just like i'm so tired don't talk to me but you 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 know but no when that's when it's like that and communicate that it's like ah horrible day i feel like this because this happened and you know it's okay just include the people in your lives and don't stop your life you know uh the good thing about this the, the hard thing about what we do is that uh when you're doing it it can be all-encompassing the good thing is it does tend to be episodic so you'll get these periods between that are, when you have that time, try to enjoy that time and not get too stressed out, which is, I know this is easier said than done. I'm shaking my head. But it's I'm like, my head. <laughs> you know, it, it's like that, because then you're back on a show again and you have no time and you're like, oh, why don't I do anything during those, like, those four well, I mean, the reality to seven is, years so, when I wasn't on something. Yeah. The reality is you're so potentially panicked and stressed about getting on another mm -hmm. project that it is hard oh, yeah. to find that that balancey rhythm. But anyway. yeah. Okay. Let's ask our no, three questions. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So at the end of every guest show, we ask the same three questions. Um, Jeff, you want to start? I'd love to. Sean, uh, what brings you the most joy when it comes to writing? Uh, the most joy. I think it is that it's sort of infinite possibility, you know, like I love first drafts. That's my favorite thing. That's, that's pure joy. That's fun. Um, because it's like, it's a new thing. It's a new world. It's new characters. Um, and that's something that's unique to what we do is you can always escape to a new thing. Um, you know, and, and it is just purely creative. Uh, and I love that about it. Like when I get down on a project, it's usually the next project that rescues me. It's like, okay, I, you know, I'm down on it until another idea dawns on me. And then I'm like, ah, okay. I love that. And that helps with the thing I'm working on too, because I remind myself why I like this. Um, you know, and then revising is just a nightmare, but, <laughs> but that first draft I love, um, when it's just, you're just getting to the end, you're just beginning to end barreling through, you're completely absorbed in it. You know, that's the magic. All right. So what pisses you off about writing? About, right. What pisses me off about revising? Um, what pisses me off about writing is, it's not about writing, but I think 
sometimes this is going to sound like griping, but like sometimes people don't understand what we do and it gets minimized. Uh, and that, that can be very frustrating when it's like, ah, oh, it's just the writer. And it's like, it's just the writer who hatched this whole thing out of nothing. Um, I don't think that's a gripe. I think that's reality. I was listening yeah. to a James Bond documentary and they were talking about a, one of the movies that didn't work. And in passing, they're like, well, it was during the writer guild strike. And then they just keep going. Like, the whole movie doesn't work because they don't have a script. They never mention the writer's name. Right. They yeah. never mention anything. As if it's just this little elf that came in and didn't show up one day. It was insane. Yeah. I to It's not a great. I'm totally with you. Yes, it's frustrating. I agree mm -hmm. with you. Uh, okay, so if you could be remembered for one scene you've written, what would it be and why? Mm -hmm. That is a hard one. Uh, I, I think it's a scene actually in a movie I wrote a while ago that has not gotten made, but it gets me work. Um, and, and I think part of the reason it does is because it's, it's this, it's this like small little kind of almost murder mystery thriller thing about this like 17 year old kid who's trying to stop a murder. It's not a kid's show though. It's like, it's a very dark thriller. Um, but it's this, this, this character who like the world has just been bad to him, like his whole life, like it's not fair, like how cruel it's been to him. Uh, and as a result, he's like, he sees himself as he has to do everything. Um, and there's this weird scene in the middle that I love where he's trying, he's stealing food from these people who left on a barbecue and they catch him. And they, in the middle of all this stuff he's doing, they make him stop and eat with them. And it's the only kindness he's ever been showed. Right? And he keeps going on for the rest of his thing, um, solves the murder, all the stuff. Um, and then we cut to, and this is the scene I love, we cut to the, that couple and they're, they're just cooking and, you know, and the wife pokes the husband and she points at the window and the kid's standing outside and he's just standing there and they go out and, and it's the scene where they're like, are you okay? And it's the first scene he ever asked anybody for help. Um, and I get people who read it years ago and they're like, what happened to that? Like, and they remember that scene because it's weirdly moving because it's, a, and I think it's a thing we kind of relate to because it's, it's a character who is never vulnerable, you know, which is a thing we all do. It's like we protect ourselves, you know, and through the archivist gets to a point where he does this one simple thing that, you know, is the hardest thing for him to do because the hardest thing for anybody to do, which is to say, I need help with this. Like, I'm not, this isn't, this isn't, you know. I've seen the limits of my, my, my capacity and like, and it's a simple thing, you know, it, it wasn't like, help me stop a murder. It's just like, help me keep my family together, help me do life. And it was, it's, um, it's, it's, it was gratifying writing it. And it's gratifying when you run into people you haven't seen. And they're like, I remember that. Um, so. That's amazing. I love that. That's Super awesome. Moving. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. It was, was fun. really, it was super fun and enlightening. And I know our audience is going to love it. All the information they got today. Great. Great. Sean, before we let you go, anything you'd yep. like to kind of promote or, you know, I know you mentioned your website, you mentioned some of your sculpture. I'm, I'm yeah. interested in this movie that's in development with Dean Devlin. If you could talk about that a little bit too. Oh, that is a movie called the deal, which will be coming out at some point. Um, I just saw the trailer for it. Uh, I don't know when it's coming out. Um, but it's this, it's this, yeah, a dystopian future. We shot it in Serbia. It was, uh, 
it's it's really good. It's a story about this this mother and daughter um, in this really dark future space. Uh, but so it um, sounds hilarious, Sean. It's I. <laughs> it's I, hilarious. Was, it is so devoid of humor. Like it was. <laughs> When I was writing it, I had a post-it up that said like no jokes. Like no, like it was just like it's not keep it down. Of course, then we got there and shot it. And like the director, um, this this Hungarian director, Orsi Najpal, who's great. I get there and she's she's like, we need some humor. <laughs> it's like, okay. It's like, it's so dark. It's like, okay, put some back in. But it's awesome. Uh, but it's it's fun. I'm excited about it. Um uh yeah as soon as i know when it's releasing i will update you guys um great but uh yeah so that's an exciting thing and then we'll go from there that's but, awesome uh, there's lots of lots of stuff coming up but that's that's the thing to promote right now um so thank you so um thanks everyone for tuning in and if you haven't yet join our facebook group at facebook.com forward slash the screening writing screenwriting this Screening, right? Never mind. I'll pick that up again. <laughs> <laughs> you can leave that in. Hey, everybody. It's the screenwriting life, if you haven't figured that out by now. So, cool. All right. Please also drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. And remember, you are not alone. Keep writing. Well, thank you so much to Sean Prezon for that amazing interview. I feel like personally, I took away so much from that. So Sean, thanks so much. And of course, thanks to all of you who listen. Um, as we mentioned every week, one of the best ways to get back to our show is to drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And they keep coming in. And if we stick to it, we might be able to hit that 1,000 reviews benchmark by the end of the year. So keep them coming. Uh, right now, I'm going to read a review from Trickster240, who says, To listen or not to listen, definitely listen. Lori and Meg and Jeff have done an amazing job of bringing this resource out for people who are interested in the screenwriting career or even any filmmaking career. And through the episodes, you will learn the ins and outs of producing a good sellable story and get to hear a lot from award-winning industry people. They really focus on letting you, the listener, know that getting your story made is 100% possible and give you 99% of the push to get you out there. All you have to do is write it. If you have a story you think needs to be told on screen, really consider giving this a listen. The wisdom of these three, and sometimes four, filmmaking wizards really helps to motivate you dream big and fuel you to keep coming back until the work is done. Though it is a scary process, they are with you most of the way and have given you a resource through the Facebook group to help make a community that you can look to for guidance on the industry. This podcast is a wonderful resource to help you get your name on the big screen. Well, thanks so much. Uh, Beautifully written and very thorough. Thank you so much, Trickster240. All right, I'll read one more from Van Milklin, who says, Thank you. I absolutely love this show. It's helped me not only on a technical level, but more importantly, on an emotional one as well, I think. I can say, not without a threat of embarrassment, that I'm actually kind of sorry to think that you are physical beings somewhere else in the world, as I've happily adopted your voices as my inner angels to help me with my process, guiding me when lost amongst the words and comforting me when fighting with my writing demons. Wow, this is a beautifully written review. I'm grateful to have found you, Megan Lorian, wherever you are, and yes, I know it's not in my head. Well, Van Milklin, I want to read your screenplay. That was beautiful and existential and very rich. So thanks for that wonderful inter- uh, that wonderful review. And uh, thanks to all of you for listening to the show. We're back next week, and we can't wait to see you then. Until then, you are not alone, and keep writing. <laughs>